Hello and welcome to episode number eight of Earth Repair Radio. The catalyst to that conflict was a chronic drought from 2006. And that chronic drought was felt especially um, acutely in the rural areas of Syria. I am a Muslim. I've been Muslim for 18 years. And I've, and I've looked at a lot of what, you know, I've been doing with my permaculture work through the lens of sort of the ethical, um, metaphysical cosmology laid out within the Islamic tradition. I'm your host, Andrew Millison, and today, once again, we have Ramis Kent. Ramis is the co-director of the Permaculture Research Institute. Ramis has been teaching and traveling throughout North Africa, the Middle East, Central Asia, and Southern Europe for quite some time, and he has a real uh, insightful perspective from observing the cultures and ecologies of that region. Uh, today, he's going to talk about the conflict in Syria, the rise of ISIS, uh, Islamic terrorism from the perspective of land degradation, and also the perspective of his faith. Uh, he's a Muslim and a permaculturist. So, he gets pretty deep in this episode. So, let's dive on in with Ramis Kent. Good morning, Ramis. How you doing? How's it going, Andrew? It's going really good. It's going really good. It's a beautiful day here. So um, thanks so much for talking to me again. For anybody listening here, uh, we did the first episode of Earth Repair Radio. I talked to Ramis about uh, permaculture solutions to the refugee crisis. And you should listen to that. That's going to be a really good background for this conversation here because that led to a lot of questions. Um, there's been a lot of recent talk. We just had this big uh, bombing in Manchester. You live in the UK, Ramis. Yeah, and yeah. so I, li- I live. I live in the south. I live in the you know pretty far from from the Midlands. Manchester's in what they call the Midlands, and I live in the southwest. So it's it's oh, it might as well be another country. But yeah, I mean it's it, it definitely you know it 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 shook you know shook some folks up here for sure. Yeah. So um, in our previous conversation, we were talking about land degradation as really one of the root causes of the you know the destabilization of societies it's led to the refugee crisis um, around the North Africa the Middle East and so I'd really like to hear more about the the destabilization caused by land degradation and how you feel like the possible ties with that to terrorism are yeah, I mean, what's what's interesting is that this had been, um, I mean, this is after the fact, but but uh, when a lot of people had a had an opportunity to maybe look at, you know, a, a lot of what had arisen in you know the Middle East, North Africa region, um, even if you want to extend that out to, you know, Central Asia, if, you know, since we you know Afghanistan could probably throw be thrown in the mix, Pakistan could definitely be thrown in the mix, so Central and Southern Asia. But um, th- th- uh, there were some people that started to to, to kind of cast a net farther afield to try to um, maybe look for some other causes that that weren't entirely um, driven by 
either the, the the geopolitics or what what some people believe to be or you know a, a religious conflict um and and i think there was a realization that there were some other um sort of exogenous ex, exogenous um uh causes and environment environmental degradation was definitely something that that had come up and in particular if we look at uh, what had kicked off in syria um at first in early 2011, um, and the reason why I, I, that is that the Syrian situation is 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 very um, yeah that it, it's very it's kind of etched in my mind because I happen to be in Jordan getting ready to go into the the West Bank and the Palestine to, to teach a permaculture design course, funnily enough, and that was like um, like what February March of uh, 2011. And so at the time I was speaking to a, a Syrian woman who um, was living in, uh, in, in the Gulf who had a, a property that she wanted me to take a look at in an area called uh, Deir Zawar, um, which presently is one of the strongholds of, of um, what's known as, as ISIS or Daesh. Um, Daesh, I should say. Um, and so we were we were thinking about me going to Damascus and then meeting some, you know, some of her uh, uh, some friends. And then uh, they would take me up to take a look at the at the property. Now, I was a bit I was a bit conflicted about this because because one of the things that that is very difficult to do is if you if you have a Syrian stamp in your passport and you try to get into um, Israel, Palestine, um, you're turned back, like right away, you can't, you can't get in. Mm. So, um, I was trying to figure out whether or not I'd be able to do this. And, and actually before I could even, you know, we could even get the, uh, reservations, um, set up. That's when everything kicked off in Dara, which is the, which is the, the, which is really kind of the, the spark that inflamed what we now know as sort of the Syrian civil war for all intents and purposes. That's where it started. And so I remember at the time I said, well, let me see if this, if this calms down before I even, you know, commit to, to going. And, um, obviously it didn't calm down. Now, one of the things that was said about, again, after the fact, after some time being able to look at that situation, one of the things that was said to be, uh, one of the, the, the catalysts to that conflict, was a chronic drought that had been um, that had been uh, uh, that it existed in the country from 2006, hmm. and that chronic drought was felt especially um, acutely in the rural areas of Syria, and Deir Zawar would cover one of those areas. Um, actually, that that part of Syria would fall within what would historically be known as the Fertile Crescent, right. which is where agriculture began. Now, if you go there now, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a pretty um, arid place. It's a, it's a very, um, it's a, it's a very challenging place to, you know, to try to um, get in any kind of condition to be able to, to reliably produce food because, and especially now because of that chronic drought condition. And obviously, along with that, you get, you know, the land degradation. But um, what it, what had happened was people had left the rural areas 
in Syria and they moved into the cities. And so you have these internally displaced people that are going to the cities because they, you know, they're not really, it's, it's, it's increasingly difficult for them to make a living from, from the land because they don't have reliable water supply. Well, obviously you get a, enough people moving from the rural areas into the cities and you now got population pressure inside of the cities. You couple that with, you know, a contentious political situation inside Syria, certain factions that are, you know, um, trying to discuss things, work things out. And, you know, you got a recipe for, um, you know, for, for, for something to happen. And, you know, when you look at what had been happening from 2008, you know, on through 2011, which would cover, you know, the, the Arab Spring, what had happened in Tunisia, what had happened in, in, in Egypt, and, you know, and what happens on and off in, you know, within other parts of the Levant. Um, yeah, that, that, that was, you know, that really just kicked everything off. And, and, and again, the, the influence of environmental factors to exacerbate an already tenuous, difficult situation, um, that's, it's a, it was a non-trivial, it was a non-trivial factor that had to be taken into account. Now, you'd explained the, the drought they had, but for, you know, not everybody listening necessarily, when you say land degradation, they don't necessarily have the story and the background of, of how we got from the fertile crescent to this degraded landscape. I mean, I mean, what is the, what are the land uses there like and, and the population pressures or the animal pressures that have you know, created this condition, just kind of in brief? So if, if you look at a lot of the – I mean, there, there have been a, a number of, of, um, of, of books that have been written uh, covering this topic, um, sort of land degradation as a historical phenomenon. Um, so, you know, the, everything from – well, D David Montgomery's uh, book, you know, Dirt – which, you know, a lot of people point to uh, Carter and Dale's book, uh, Topsoil and Civilization, um, and, and their discussion of how, how the, the condition of land and how civilizations deal with land is really what tells the story of how human societies, human populations globally, um, how their civilizations uh, progress, how they, how they rise and how they, how they, how they decline, how they fail. Jared Diamond's book, Collapse, How Societies Choose to Fail to Succeed, is, is the one I often end up citing. And, you know, what's great about his book is he, he identifies um, eight historical reasons why civilizations fail. He, he identifies another four reasons why they may fail in the future. Um, but if you look at the top eight, you look at the eight historical reasons why civilizations fail, and you look at the top three, the, and they are in order, deforestation and habitat destruction. That's number one. Number two is is um, soil problems, which would include salinity uh, problems with uh, elevated soil salinity, soil erosion, loss of fertility, and then the third one is water management problems. Now they're listed as three diff different problems in in that list, but you know once you sort of look at this long enough, you realize oh it's just a, it's the same problem that every every problem that each ensuing problem from the first one is just a logical progression of what preceded it. So once you once you lose the the forests and the vegetation, then basically you've lost the generators of organic matter that produce the soils. Well, once you produce the soil, once you lose the the, the soils, 
you lose your water because you, you don't have what is arguably your most significant storage of water in landscape is organic matter and soil. Um, and I'm sure you're, you're familiar with some of the data. Um, for every 1% of, of soil organic matter or soil organic carbon that's, that's lost, it corresponds to, to roughly somewhere between 150 and 200,000 liters of water per hectare. So, you know, if you look now at most, a lot of, especially in the, in the arid areas, the dry areas, you know, most of the agricultural soils have lost about, on average, maybe 3%, 4%. You know, you're looking at per hectare, the ability, you've lost the ability to store over half a million liters of water per hectare. And so extend that out to what we now know is at least a couple of billion hectares of land that is characterized as being severely degraded. Um, and then you can understand why you see the types of problems you see in, in that region. Now, the, the reason why you see it in those places is because they're older civilizations. They've had, they've had the presence of human beings. They've had the presence of um, sort of the, 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 the human development in terms of, of the societal development and civilizational development. They've been, they've been at it longer than everybody else. So they're farther along that, um, that, that historical curve um, where they've, they've, they've risen, they've kind of reached an apex, and they're on the, they're on the downward slide. And, and, then, and then, you know, once you're in, you're in a place where the resource base is no longer capable of supporting the people that live there, you've got to go somewhere else. And the, and the problem now is, um, there's really nowhere. There's really nowhere else left to go that isn't already occupied, you know, by by people. So you gotta, we got, you know, you gotta figure that out. You know, that's a problem. So you've got this prolonged drought. You've got people in the rural areas that are basically their their ecosystem is collapsing to the level where they can't um, provide. You know, they can't feed themselves anymore. So they're coming into the city. And then you've got, you know, people with basically, they're basically internal refugees showing up in the cities. And then, and then how does that kind of lead to, and this is the, this is the condition in Syria that you're talking about. And I don't know if this translates to some of the other countries um, as well. Well, I mean, the, 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 the thing is, you also have to take into consideration the fact that you have a, 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 widely a very diverse population of people you know with within those regions now for the most part if you if you look at the you know the long arc of the history of these places um people have lived together pretty actually fairly harmoniously um a lot of the problems that that you know you would often see chronically come up um you know that a lot of this it's it's you know a lot of it's political um, does it have, you know, religious undertones? And I think this is, this is a bit of a, of a, of a myth. It's a well-trod um, path of sort of a, erroneous analysis that somehow, you know, you have all these different populations, the Muslims with, and, their, and their various groups, Christians and their various groups, uh, uh, Jews. Um, and I think we have to remember that there, there are people who are Christian and and Jewish within those regions that that are not European, right? They're not European, right? They're people that are Arab, Arabic speaking. You know, they're Jews in Yemen. 
There were Jews in, in Persia, in Iran. Sephardic. There for, you know, for yeah. Sephardic, exactly. Yeah. Sephardic Jews, right? So, there, so there's nothing sort of endemic in, in terms of these, these groups not being able to sort of reconcile. There's a very long history. It's very well-documented. And I think for a lot of Western people, um, a lot of people in, in, in the U.S., you know, especially, they just don't know the history. So, you know, th- these people have been have been living and mixing and and finding a way to coexist in, you know, in this part of the world for, you know, for a couple of millennia. And um, and, and, and you and you really don't start seeing a lot of the types of like just the crazy stuff that we've been seeing in recent years. That's a very recent phenomenon. Hmm. And. And it's funny because I just, you know, I have, um, thankfully, I've, I've, you know, been able to have the benefit of of knowing some like very knowledgeable people uh, um, within the realm of Islamic scholarship. I mean, they are among the, 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 the best in the world and they've had to tackle a lot of these things. Um, sort of in the press, they've been on television, they've been on radio, they've been uh, written books, papers, um, very, uh, in, uh, very clearly um, laying out the reason why a lot of these things that many would attempt to justify or explain through religion cannot be explained or justified by way of religion. Hmm. Um and what you're seeing is is actually something that is that is very new. So, for example, um, the types of um, violence you see committed against civilians, um, a, a lot of a lot of folks they 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 don't understand. They they honestly don't understand where this is coming from. Like this is new for them. Mm. Like they don't get it. And. And, and and I and there's one uh, prominent scholar, actually a, a gentleman named uh, uh, a Syrian, um, a Syrian scholar named uh, Sheikh Mohammed El Yaqubi. He said, he said this is actually, this is arguably the the the, the most serious crisis that has faced the the Islamic world because it, it's it it's it is so new. Hmm. Um, th- there's an archetype that that could be identified with, within within. Historically speaking, within the Islamic tradition, there was a in the in the early community of 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 sort of the first the first community of the Muslims. Um, there was a group known as the Khwarij, and they were like they were sort of like the early utopians, like the early kind of zealots within the history of Islam that even had um, they they had critiques for. The people that were unanimous, unanimously identified as being the best and most most knowledgeable of the community, but in their eyes, they they felt as though they weren't as sort of religious as they were or as pious as they were, and so because those people weren't doing what they were doing, that not only were they subject to being critiqued, but in some cases they were subject to having their lives taken, hmm. because um, that somehow their blood and their wealth was was legitimately um, for them to take uh, because in their eyes, these were people that were, um, um, they weren't sort of practicing or, or, or understanding the faith properly. 
So, you know, they were, they were and, and so this is, so in, in a sense, you, we're seeing like a, there is an, an, an old kind of behavioral pattern. There's a whole behavioral archetype that has appeared in, in this era. And sort of the manifestation of it has been um, quite, uh, yeah, it's, it's been very much disorienting and, and difficult for people to make heads or tails of because in their minds, knowing the tradition, there's nothing that they, they know there's nothing in the tradition that would justify them committing murder and suicide, disrupting, um, uh, disrupting the, the societal peace, the order. Um, in the interest of supposedly achieving some kind of ideal. And again, um, the conditions that we were just speaking of, the whole the land degradation portion, the, 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 you know, the food and water insecurity, all of those things are just making the, that situation, it's just exacerbating it. It's making it that much more intense. And the ability to be able to achieve some kind of stability because it's against that backdrop and then it's 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 shaking up shaking up further because the 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 actual the, the, the geopolitical security um the the like that there's there's really little hope for being able to to establish that because you're dealing with an element that is completely beyond reason they're not really willing to listen to anyone um even people that are clearly more knowledgeable than they are and so they're, you know, they're ideologues that are using religion as an accessory for what is essentially a a a political goal. Hmm. And yeah. and the, the 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 ironic thing is, if you look at where a lot of these people um, actually pull many of their ideas from, it, it, they actually get a lot of their their um, core principle ideas in terms of intellectual thought from Marxism. They're actually they're actually Marxists. Interesting. And so this this idea of you know revolution that doesn't come from Islam. Huh. You know, it's it's it comes from like revolutionary Marxism. Well, you know, and so talking, they, yeah. Yeah. As a, before we started recording, you were talking. You described um, you described Islamic fundamentalists basically as as utopianists. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're utopians. I mean, that, actually, a teacher of mine just said this. He said, invariably, you you find that you, that that utopians are are really are really that they're, they're zealots. That 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 zealots zealots, and you can look you can you can see this across the board. You know, it, not only in terms of sort of uh, uh, re religious traditions, but especially when you have people that are after certain political ends, and then they try to integrate other ideas into their political ideal because it serves as a justification for what it is they're going for. So obviously, um, if you're able to, if you're able to incorporate God or having the authority to, 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 to go after this political end, because, you know, you're able to somehow misquote some sort of, um, um, you know, re religious dispensation as a, as a, as a reason why you can, you can, do the things that you're doing, then it has sort of that much more power and appeal. Hmm. And, and the problem is um, if you take the traditions that they're quoting in their totality, what they're, what they're actually using to justify what they're doing also condemns them. Hmm. Right. So, 
you know, you can't commit, for example, if you look at suicide bombing and suicide bombing is a very recent, that's a very recent phenomenon. Um, actually, one of the really, really excellent documentary to see some of that recount some of that history as to where this emerges. And really, you don't see this happening until the late, the mid to late 70s. Mm-hmm. You know, it came from Iran. And then, you know, with the with the rise of well, it's it's you'll often see him. Uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini is is often mentioned as being uh, one of the places where the whole idea of this, of, of um, suicide bombing comes from. And then where you really see it kind of being used, um, especially with regard to um, interactions with the United States is is in um is in Beirut. Yeah. And then, and then, and then, and then what happened in Beirut, Lebanon was actually said to be, um, initiated by Hafez al-Assad, who's, oh. who's Bashar, Bashar al-Assad's father. Huh. Right. And, 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 and then that supposedly had to do with, um, a, a situation where there was a negotiation that was supposedly happening between, um, Henry Kissinger, who was working for the U.S. State Department at the time, he was head of the, he was the U.S. Secretary of State, and supposedly he was trying, supposedly brokering a deal with Anwar Sadat in Egypt, um, and also the Israelis, and supposedly there was a there was a double cross, and they suppose and, and apparently the double cross ended up being against Assad in Syria, and then he sort of and he and he, and he never. He never um, forgot that, hmm. and that the and then the and, and apparently that that whole tactic of suicide bombing came out of out of that situation, right? And and the, the you, you can actually see this recounted um, like really well in in an Adam Curtis documentary called Hypernormalization, which I know a lot of people have had a chance to look at that. But if you haven't, it's a, it's it's a it's an excellent Adam Curtis is one of my favorite documentarians but hypernormalization early on that kind of talks about some of that now if if we i'm sorry but you're gonna you'll get ready well, to i was gonna say so so if um if you have so you're you're kind of painting a picture that you have politicians who are using um religious fundamentalists for their own political means but you still have the people that are you know i kind of wanted to go back to this like this this utopian Right. idea like the, the right. people that are actually say committing a suicide bombing i mean what is the utopia that they are envisioning that they are implementing you know because it sounds well, like you're, you explain these two poles you're like the political ends but then you actually have the people who are quite zealous right right now now, now what's interesting is when you see when you when you read some of the people who are often quoted as being again the intellectual wellspring um, from which a lot of these 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 ideas um, come from that fuel the violence. Um, there's a gentleman named Sayed Qutb. He's one of the people who who are who are uh, quoted. Um, he's one of the intellectual fathers of a lot of, of a lot of what's going on here. There are a few others, but when you when you look at their backgrounds, <clears throat> one of the things you'll find invariably a lot of these people. Um, were adherents of was they, they were Marxists. They weren't religious people. Hmm. They they later sort of re, re, rediscovered their their religions. 
their religious traditions. And again, given the nature of the, you know, the, 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 the political backdrop of the time, you know, so this is, you know, mid 20th century, like you're looking at 50s, 60s, really. And the world was, you know, crazy in the 60s. A lot of things happened, especially with a lot, with many parts of the world throwing off the chains of, you know, their, their colonial past and they're becoming independent countries. Well, you got to remember that that one of the, the main drivers behind that was the whole kind of. The, the whole push of, of communism and, and socialism and Marxism um, and this being sort of the countervailing balance to, you know, the, 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 the capitalist West. And so there's that, you know, that those, those two poles. And there are many places, of course, in, in the, in the Middle East and North Africa that aligned themselves or that found inspiration in a lot of that Marxist thought. Mm. And then, and then that eventually became integrated in with with certain elements of certain ideas that were pulled from Islam. But again, you're trying to put together two things that are that are really um, they're not reconcilable hmm. because they have very different um, cosmologies, if you will. So for one, I mean, the obvious one right off the bat is Marxists don't believe in God. Karl Marx didn't believe in God. So it's essentially, you know, you're looking at a, an entire worldview that has really no mooring or, or, or foundation that can be found in an, in an ethical religious tradition that does not have power, does not have political power as its goal. That Islam is not a, it's not a, it, it does not, there's no, no one can say that, that Islam has as a goal the the um, the attainment of political power, temporal power in the world. It's not. It's, there's nothing in the tradition that points to that. If anything, there's everything in the tradition. Actually, you have all of the notable people actually trying to turn people away from that kind of thing. Hmm. So, right off the bat, it's it's wrong. It's it's completely off on the wrong foot. You can't put those two things together. But you, but you can if you misquote or you take things out of context, you, you selectively take things out of the tradition that are able to serve your purposes. And so what you're doing is you're using religious language as a political accessory. And then that is what ends up being the basis upon which all of this, you know, all of this, this insanity is, is um, you know, that's what they're, they're fueling it with. It is a misuse is a misuse of the tradition yeah so what you know, it's interesting just because when you talk about utopia I think about verdant gardens and rivers flowing and this like you know and, and then and then to juxtapose that with the fact that the land degradation we're talking about the drought the fact that people are being destabilized from their land base it's just like it seems like there's something about that juxtaposition that that adds some potency to the whole equation well i think the other the other thing well just to just to, to kind of cement this whole idea of the utopia i mean it's in the, the ideological utopia so if you, if you look at okay the you know the marxist element obviously you know it's it's the kind of the the rich kind of ruling ownership class versus, versus the lumpen proletariat, you know, and the, you know, the workers and the poor and, and that somehow 
um, you can you can re-engineer things, or you can kind of remove the the oppressive rulership, and somehow install what is assumed to be the enlightened lumpen, you know, of the world, as if as if the lumpen, you know, of the globe, the lumpen proletariat of the world don't have, you know, their moral and ethical failings. So again, it's this Manichaean, you know, light, dark, bad, good. I mean, it, it, the world's not like that. They're good people, you know, among the rich, and they're horrible people among the poor, right? And vice versa, they're horrible people among the rich, and they're good people among the poor. So it's it's not like an open and shut case. And and the problem is, you know, you you. The, the ends in this case are not justified by the means. Like if you want noble ends, you have to use noble means. And and in in speaking on what what are the goals of Islam, like as stated within Islam, it's an ethical tradition, and it has and it has noble goals. And in the achieve and in, in achieving those goals, and and again those goals are not worldly goals. There's there's spiritual goals. It's the it's the it's the development and the perfection of the human being in terms of your character and your spirit and you know and understanding that you you're not good you know the world is a this is a temporary state you can't stay you're passing through and you're going somewhere else so the point isn't to do anything and everything you can to stay here and grab power and you know and exert your influence over people in 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 a in an effort to try to achieve this ideological ideal and that's what i mean by you know by the, the sort of the utopian vision it's mm. not the goal mm. you know and and there's nothing that says um that even having that as a goal is even attainable because even when you look at the even for the people that believe that to be true when you look at at the um at the span of the people who are called the the, the right the rightly guided caliphs, um, I think that that this is the first four caliphs. If we can we can throw in uh, the fifth, um, uh, maybe maybe go to five. There's a fifth caliph that could be mentioned. It only spanned about thirty years. Thirty years, and then what's interesting is. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a fairly, Wait, what does a caliph, what is a caliph? Caliph, caliph was the, was the, again, the, the sort of the, 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 the ruler, actually caliph in, in Arabic, khilafa, caliph is, is like a steward. Okay. Khilafa is literally stewardship. Right. So this, so this is, but caliph in terms of the title, this was the person that was sort of the, seen as being the, the leader of, of the, of the faithful. Oh, like the, the a, cal- the, a caliphate. Like the caliphate, what they, what ISIS is talking about, right. trying to establish, what okay. the the Anglicized, like kind of the English, English Anglicized version yeah. of the word okay. caliphate. Yeah. But in Arabic, the word is uh, uh, the the caliph, mm-hmm. you know, the Khalifa. Um. So early on, the the, the the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him was quoted as saying that the that the 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 caliphate, like the 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 the, the khilafa, meaning like the real, that real period of time, that period of time where the real rightly guided 
rulers and knew what they were talking about. They knew how to how to carry themselves and and how to actually present this um, you know this tradition. He said it would only span like I think it only span thirty years. He said that's what he said. And then he said after that he said it would be it would be kings, it would be monarchy. And then he said after that it would be it would be tyrants. Hmm. So he said that would be the progression. It would go from the from the from the from the caliphs, the rightly guided caliphs, to kings, to tyrants. Right. So, so there was an understanding that the, that the the attainment of any kind of earthly power, where you would see the this ideal um, of Islam established would only be a short time. Now, the, the, the extremist element is, is pointing back at that, not realizing what he had said, hmm. necessarily. And again, understanding that this was a, this was a, a very short um, time that you would see this ideal actually be in the world. Um, and they're trying to, to, to bring that back, having none of the qualities of the people of that time having none of the ethical comportment, right? None of the, none of the, the sort of the moral um, uh, depth, none of the intelligence, <laughs> none, of the, none of the knowledge. And they just, and I mean, it, I mean and, I'm, and I'm saying this honestly. Mm-hmm. And if you ask anybody who knows about the tradition, they'll, they will tell you this, that the people who are now kind of promoting this idea like they don't know anything about the tradition, hmm. and and the fact that they're doing what they're doing is proof positive. And so, but they still have this utopian ideal in their mind, and and the it's, mythical and caliphate, again, it's basically the mythical caliphate, yeah. right? Yeah. And and then the and then this the zealotry, in terms of you know we're, we're going to go after this at all costs. You know, you're burning the candle at both ends. Um, I mean, and the funny thing is, is a lot of people, a lot of these guys burn out. And what's inter- and another interesting thing is, interesting thing is, when you see where a lot of these people come from, and you're looking at their backgrounds, they're invariably, and this, and these are people like in the CIA and the FBI that have been following these folks, intelligence services. They all say the same things. Uh, journalists have been saying this. People have been held hostage by them. The, like their religious, um, um, I mean, they're, they're completely ignorant in terms of. In terms of the the, the, the religious tradition, hmm. many of them don't pray, or they or they they didn't pray. They weren't religious. Many of them drank. Many of them were drug addicts. Many of them were criminals. Many of them had uh, uh, frequent strip clubs. You know, watch pornography. Um, and they they would find a lot of stuff on the computer um, when they would seize um, a lot of the property and like raids and things. So just to again just to paint a picture of this idea of the ideal is not even embodied in the people who are allegedly trying to attain this and promote it. Hmm. So there's problem number one. And, but I think this is, again, this is, this is a quality that you often find in, in folks that take things too far, that, that go to the extreme, that don't know, that, that, that don't understand what moderation is, um, is that in an effort to try to, maybe in an effort to try to bring themse- themselves out of the, the depths of 
you know, their addictions, their vices, um, they go to the other extreme. Mm-hmm. And and often and, and and you're just seeing a group of people that have gotten together under the umbrella again of this utopian ideal. And someone's been able to give them a lot of money and a lot of weapons. <laughs> And and um, and they don't have any um, reservations about use about doing things that um, if they are identifying themselves as as adhering to this particular particular tradition. I mean, this is stuff that shouldn't even be entering into their minds, let alone carrying it out. Um, It's you know, it's uh, it just doesn't have any there's no there's absolutely no justification um, and no attachment as a religious phenomenon. What about like the, the Saudi hijackers on nine 11, where it wasn't coming from like a, like a destabilized society. Like we think of as Syria where there's civil war. And I mean, of course, Saudi Arabia has the intense ecological problems, but they certainly didn't have uh, the financial pressures that, a that a more land-based collapsing society is having. Well, I think that again, I think another quality of 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 utopians is that they often are people who are not of you know the sort of the 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 group suffering the indignities that they claim to be you know trying to you know champion for mm. they, you know they they are often very you know they're reasonably educated if not well educated people they come from means you know, they come from a from a situation where, you know, they're they're not deprived. Um, you know, they're fairly worldly wise. Um, they're, they're they're pretty worldly people, and again, in that, you know, they kind of have their fair share of vices and their fair share of personal flaws in that sense. Right. And I think there there's there's um, and then you know, they they happen to, and 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 they have a lot of again political grievances. Hmm. And you'll find that a lot of these, a lot of the things that they're really um, attempting to try to confront, um, they they don't have roots in religion; they have roots in politics. Yeah. And so again, which explains, you know, why again, if you look at probably a lot of the, a lot of the the you know the um, causes that they advocated for. Um, some of the, you know, the, the political stances um, that, that they probably took, you'll often find that, again, they have backgrounds in some some uh, aspect or some variation on the whole kind of revolutionary Marxist um, worldview. Mm-hmm. And then and then later on, you know, they may sort of, again, rediscover some aspect of, of some kind of religious identity or a sensibility. And they sort of just mush the two together. In ways again that can't be reconciled, and that was, and that's basically what you saw in in those folks. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, so circling around to your work because you're, I just saw these great videos you had of shot shot from this rooftop in the Hadramut Valley in Yemen. Oh, Hadramut, yeah, yeah, that yeah. was really cool. And you know, you've I you saw in in Western Sahara, and you've worked all over. You've been in, like you said, in um, the West Bank and Palestine and, and Somalia. And um, did you work in what, Tunisia, Morocco? Yeah, I was in, Tuni- I was in Tunisia, yeah. Morocco. Uh, I forgot to mention, I think the last time, I, uh, Turkey. Yeah. Um, uh, which I can't remember. I forgot Turkey. Uh, Turkey and Greece and um, yeah. 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 So you're, so you're, 
you're spending time on the ground with regular people, right? Yeah. And do you see? I mean, I mean, how how are how is your permaculture work in these places contributing to the solution? I mean, is is it is it as simple as reversing desertification and restabilizing these societies and getting people back out on their land base? I mean, is that is is it is it too late for that, or is that really like a, a key potential solution to this whole? political and I, I would say like psychological disturbance. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think one of the, well, first of all, the, you know, the people that, again, I've, I have had the good fortune of, of being put in touch, be, being put in touch with, but just they're among the, the most kind, um, patient, forbearing, generous, uh, good natured people, you know, I've ever met. And, even given the situ- given given their situation and their circumstances, their ability to cope with that, like in the midst of, you know, that kind of um, discord and unrest and, and instability, um, the fact that they haven't lost their mind and they haven't lost hope, and that um, you know they just kind they just get on with it. Is at is it is a test is a is a testament to them, mm. and and it, and it's a testament to I think, um, it's it's a testament to their I think an ethical sensibility that lies at the at the at the heart of the societies that they come from, and the and the and the cultures that they come from, and um, you know and, and the tradition that they come from. Um, and, you know, and as far as what the work is, is, is hoping to do in many cases, I'm not necessarily telling them anything that, that they didn't already know kind of as a, in terms of the understanding, historically speaking, I mean, you're talking about people that have a very long history of making a living from the land. Um, and then, you know, with the 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 emergence of a lot of the ideas that you you saw you know um, ascend in the 20th century, and in particular, um, I don't want to you know point the finger at, at capitalism and communism, and I think that's that's a is a false dichotomy being made here. And one of the people that I think was really effective at laying this out for me was Russell Means, and Russell Means had talked about how Marxism is just as alien to his tradition, to his tradition and his understanding as being an indigenous person, that Marxism is just as alien as capitalism is. Because essentially what you see people suffering from and having to deal with are is symptomatic of a world that is, is predicated on an economic system that for him and for them has desacralized the universe. Hmm. That is just material, right? Yeah. It's basically deep. It's 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 decoupled the idea that the world has any basis in a kind of a has a metaphysical understanding. Like there's a particular or or has some sort of um, connection to the idea that people have to operate in their interactions with it in an, in an ethical way. This idea that 
you know, nature has rights just like people have rights, you know, and people have responsibilities with regard to how they are, how they move in the world, and how they do things in the world, because it didn't come from them. Like they didn't create it. So understanding that it comes from somewhere else and that they and that that unless they render the rights that are due to the landscape within which they've been placed, that setting, that there are consequences. And I mean, what's funny is um, now that I say that there's actually a, a, a kind of a well-trod um, uh verse of the of the Quran in, in talking about the Islamic tradition, because again, most of the people I deal with are, are Muslim. And there's a there's a verse in a chapter called um uh, uh funnily enough, ironically enough, the Romans. Suratul hmm. Rum, chapter of the Romans. And it's the 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 forty fifth the forty first ayah or, or or verse or literally um ayah means sign. <laughs> the forty first verse of um that, that particular chapter, and it says corruption has appeared in both land and sea because of what people's own hands have brought about so that they may taste something of what they have done so that hopefully they will turn back. And traditionally, that verse, the, the, the commentary made on that verse, all has to do with the disruption of, of the ecological order. So incidents of fires, the dropping of the water tables, you know, droughts, the loss of vegetation, crops. That is a that's a quite literally that is a seventh or eighth century commentary on that verse, that Quranic verse. Wow. So so it's not like these people don't already know this. And so I think what 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 permaculture has done is in a way it, it's it's been able to re it's been able to articulate in somewhat Western academic language in certain instances um, and sort of synthesize and pull together uh, an, an, an indigenous pre-modern understanding of how to be in the world. And, and it's just kind of taking an old meal and, 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 fixing it up in a slightly different way right. and then serving it to people that gave it to us in the first place. Yeah. Right. They gave it to us in the first place and they just put it in front of them and you, and they like, Oh yeah. It's like they see in an old friend, you know, right. like, and they, and they recognize an old friend. Oh, I haven't seen you in so long. <laughs> Where you been? <laughs> and, and, um, and it's, and it's interesting because what ends up happening is in many places, um, they've been able to recognize, you know, some aspect of a, of a, of a cultural, uh, environmental heritage that, um, that may have been forgotten, you know, kind of had dust collect on it. And, and this has been a means to be able to dust off an old knowledge and an old understanding of, of how they used to be. And it's a, and it, and it becomes a, sort of a, um, it becomes sort of inspiration to revive, um, that heritage or that identity that they had, in, you know, yeah. inside of their culture and their tradition with regard to how they deal with the, the you know, with the natural world. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I'm a utopianist as well, and I like to think that, uh, I like to think that, and, and, you know, maybe this is totally naive, but I like to think that 
permaculture is somewhat of a universal situation and that if we just had an abundant landscape in in every climate zone and nation and ecosystem on the planet that we would just have so much less reasons to fight each other because people's basic needs were met and and the the story you're laying out basically it's like that that the islamic fundamentalists are 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 you know on the are, are essentially proletariats for the most part, who have been displaced of their land base and are like lost with all of this energy and easily diverted and easily sort of manipulated to fulfill the political goals of people. Okay, so so I think that there has to be, I think they need to explain that further. Now, there is an element of that is true. I think in particular, you have like a very large population of disaffected youth who are often unemployed. Um, there's not very much in the way of sort of future prospects for them. Um, uh, in some cases, they're not very well educated. In other cases, they may have, you know, a, a fair amount. Um, but again, because they don't have sort of an outlet or any 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 prospect for any kind of uh, future that looks attainable, then it goes directly into nihilism. And they're really kind of nihilist. They're kind of like utopian nihilists, if I, if, if, if I can even use that term. What, what and, is a nihilist exactly? I mean, it's just someone who, you know, it, there's, there's like, you know, there, there, there's, there's like no intrinsic value. I mean, to, to, to anything. I mean, that, there's nothing really kind of worth saving in a way. Mm. So... You know, like it's. I think the irony is like their their utopian nihilism that attempts to use Islam as a justification because nihilists don't really have any kind of moral code, hmm. right? They they. I mean, they've essentially jettisoned um, the idea that there that there are any boundaries in that respect, and yet you want to use you want to use God as a means to explain or empower your, 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 your nihilism. Hmm. It's, it's again, they're just ideas that they can't go together. The parts don't fit together because in, in attempting to quote the tradition to justify your, your, your nihilism, your nihilism, um, it condemns you. Yeah. So like, you know, so murder and suicide are, are two of the most serious Mortal sins in in all of the Abrahamic faiths, not just Islam, but in Judaism and in Christianity. Yeah. You know, as a matter of fact, one of the things that's said about the person who who commits suicide, that in sort of in the next world, what happens is that the the act by which they took their own life, they do that over and over and over and over and over again. Hmm. Like in in the um what's known as like the, you know, the, the Barzakh, the space between um, this world and kind of the door to the next world, which has to go through um, the day of judgment, you well, know, the resurrection. Yeah. Well, someone's convincing so, these people that there's going to be a different result, that it's going to be really good for them in the afterlife. Right. So what, so, so how that's done is you take advantage of a person's ignorance because anybody that knows, knows the tradition knows, knows that. And in knowing that they, 
they they wouldn't do that if you knew that. So actually, there's a there's a friend of mine. Um, his father is a is arguably, um, you know, the the the, the most um, learned is, uh, Islamic theorist, a jurist, excuse me, um, legal theorist, you know, alive today. A man named uh, Sheikh Abdullah bin Bey. I was just with him in in uh, the in the United Arab Emirates um, about a little less than a month ago. And and one of the things he says is that the problem is is the problem isn't there being too much religion. You're not talking about people who are too religious, right? The pro the problem is too little religion. They don't know what they're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. So the remedy isn't less. It's like you have to fill in the holes in the the, the holes in their their base of knowledge, which is. Yeah. Which is, which is next to, you know, there's next to no knowledge there. What if you're saying yeah. somehow the tradition that justifies it. So a lot. So what? What are the? Uh, just to just to just to yeah. finish that point. You know, one of the things that was said in order to counteract that was you're not going to be able to defeat that with military force. You have to completely discredit the idea, right? By pointing out the 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 erroneous foundations of that train of thought and you have to show where they're wrong why it's wrong you know and, and so that way it can't be used as a justification and so now you're you're no longer you know there is no islamic extremism again it's a oxymoron there is no um you know islamic nihilism <laughs> which again is an oxymoron they're just nihilists. They, I mean, you're talking about these these are these people are criminals. I mean, they're they're psychopaths. They're psychopaths who, unfortunately, have been convinced by 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 more skillful, manipulative people that you know, in in their incapacitated, um, disenfranchised, desperate state. That somehow, you know, killing people and blowing themselves up is the way to, to paradise. And and in a way, and in a way, what they're doing is, you know, these are people who are taking advantage of of the despair in very vulnerable people. Because you know, you, you know, there's, a, there's, there's the saying, "Hurt people hurt people," yeah. and these are people that are deeply hurt, and they don't have any outlets or any way of being able to deal with their pain, and so it ends up. You know, it ends up being, you know, pushed out on the world and everybody's sort of being made to pay for, you know, what they're having to deal with. Yeah. And that brings us right back to a degraded land base, to war and the trauma of war, you know? Yeah. yeah. And what's funny is invariably, and this kind of, this, this gets to, I think, a more sort of metaphorical discussion. When you really kind of look at this from the fifty thousand foot uh, perspective or five hundred thousand foot perspective, invariably what you find is that the condition of the of the people are, are is reflected by the conditions of the landscapes. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. That that the 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 condition or the situation for the people in a particular place, and not everybody. You can't, and, and I can't say this like categorically, but there's, there's certainly a certain, there's an element within the society 
that that mirrors the the the, the physical condition of the landscapes that they have to they have to deal with and they have to operate in and find a way of 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 um, you know making a life for themselves. And if they don't have kind of the the the, the fortitude um, to to be able to to look at that situation outside of you know the 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 basic kind of material realities of, of what they're having to to cope with. If you, if you don't, if you have people who aren't able to see kind of past that, um, then yeah, folks are probably going to do some pretty messed up things. And when we see it in all, we see it in our in our own society, our own country. You know, you see it in the states. Yeah. Why is there opiate? Why is there opiate epidemic? Yeah. In the U.S. But what, what's you know what's that about? It's the richest country in the world. Why is everybody shooting up? Why is it? Why is there a heroin epidemic? Why is everybody? You know, it's like Brave New World. You know? Well, yeah, and it's it's interesting. You know, in, in Oregon, we just had this this uh, stabbing in in Portland. These this murder yeah. of these these um, people were this guy was was uh, uh, harassing a Muslim woman, and then these guys stood up to her to that to this guy on the on the train, and he stabbed them and he killed them. And this guy obviously is just you know now that his it's come out, you're like, oh, this is this guy is just mentally unstable. He's just this guy is just crazy. Right. And he had all kinds of different ideologies and they weren't really aligned in any one particular thing. And um, and then you look at actually the founding of Oregon. And I, I read this whole history where a lot of the first people to go and contact and, and, and really push out the first the trappers and the first people to, to this this land and a lot of the Western United States were people who could not function in normal society. Right, they were right, criminals. Right, yeah. and, and they committed right. <laughs> really, and you look, they committed heinous, terrible acts, yeah, yeah. right? And typically initiated some of the early, you know, genocide of the indigenous cultures here. And then the wave of settlers came after those people. So a lot of times when you have this gap, when you have a instability, the the crazy people, you know, if, if you get all of the, people that are really maybe cr- just traumatized and have a tendency towards violence and you put them right. all together and you give them right. weapons and you give them an ideology, right. there's ISIS, right? I don't no, think no, ISIS exactly. only happens in Islam. I mean, I think that like you could take any society and take the most marginal dangerous elements and arm them and give them an ideology and there you go. And I think that, and I, and I think you actually hit the nail on the head. That, that what you're seeing in that part of the world, what you're seeing in the Middle East, is not is not unique to the Middle East. Like what you're seeing something play out among a certain set of human beings that are located in in a particular part of the globe that plays out in other places around the world in in other guises. So I was just looking up the the um, it was, a, it was some lecture about um, gun violence in in the U.S. And I, if I remember the um, if I remember the statistic, um, there was something like 30,000 30, 30, homicides, thirty thousand gun related homicides in in the U.S. And this is like a rough annual figure: thirty thirty thousand. Wow. Right. Um, no, 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 not not. And this is over the course of I'm sorry, of of um, I think it was like th- 
don't know, three years, three or four years, something like that, if I remember correctly. Right. Um, and then, you know, somebody had plotted out the, the they looked at the demographic data in terms of like age, gender, um, race, quote unquote, race, uh, and looking at the distribution of, okay, well, who exactly are amongst people that are being killed? And, and, and in one demographic, um, in particular among young uh, African-American, young black, um, uh, mostly males, that the that you would see this huge spike, like in, the, I don't know, 18 to 24 or something like that. Huge spike um, in the number of gun deaths, gun-related deaths. But what the, the interesting thing that this, this particular researcher pointed out is if you look at at the incidence of um, gun deaths among uh, among uh, other demographics, and in particular among white males and older white males, that that the mode of of, of death, gun related death, was suicide, and and you don't see a spike, you see actually this 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 ramp up, and the highest incidence is among older white males of gun deaths. And demographically, this would work out because if you look at who owns guns in America, it's like, I think 22% of Americans own guns. There's like 265 million, I remember remember the number, 265 million firearms in America, 22% of Americans own firearms, 3% of that 22% owns half of those guns. (laughs) Three percent. So something like eight million, eight million people on an average of like I did the numbers, like seventeen firearms, yeah. and the overwhelming majority of those people are 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 white demographically, and so that idea that most of the the gun deaths that you see among and it's flat that you have all these people that are killing themselves, right? And again, couple that in with the fact that you know the United States is the largest um, Slugged, large drug market on the planet, right? You got, you know, 5% of the population using like five times the percentage of uh, uh, antidepressants, you know, painkillers, again, opiate epidemic. Yeah. What the hell's going on? <laughs> right? So you have to ask yeah. yourself, this is yeah. the richest country in the world. It's the yeah. richest country in the world. Why are all these people killing themselves? Why are all these people taking all this, you know, all this dope? You know, not to mention alcohol, not to mention, you know, this, uh, you know, addiction to all kinds of entertainment, whether it's sports or movies or television or what, right. like what's going on? And so, I mean, it speaks to this this deeper problem that exists within the human condition of the people that happen to live within this place. Now, a lot of people would attribute that to, I mean, this is late stage. I wouldn't say it's late stage capitalism. I think it's, it's late stage in, in, industrialism. And it doesn't matter whether or not you're talking, if you're talking about the capitalist or the communist variant, hmm. that this is what happens when you have a world that is based on cannibalizing the very thing that is responsible for allowing you to, to enabling you to exist. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That that's what that's what happens. Yeah. And and that's and the funny thing is that's precisely what's pointed out in that verse that I read you. Right, that they may taste some of what they they have done, so that they might return, they might go back, and they correct the mistake, and they undo what they've done. 
that they that they that they no longer about this business of literally the business of corrupting the earth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and yeah, so it, you're just seeing it manifest, you know, a bit differently. Yeah. In, you know, in the Middle East and North Africa and that part of the world, because, you know, it's just different setting. But yeah. and so the, the manifestation yeah. makes sense in that setting. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same basic human condition and just dissatisfaction. And, and I would say, you know, with industrialization, I would say divorce from nature, divorce from natural systems and divorce from the wonders of nature that can keep you spiritually connected. Yeah, and and it's funny you mentioned that because the the thing and I've I've thought a lot about this over, you know, I mean from the time that I've been doing this and I've and I've tried to kind of bridge the two worlds like, you know, I full disclosure I full disclosure I am a Muslim I've been Muslim for eighteen years, and I've and I've looked at a lot of what, you know, I've been doing with my permaculture work through the lens of, sort of the ethical, um, metaphysical cosmology laid out within the Islamic tradition. And and even I could say there's probably about an understanding of the you know the the Abrahamic faiths and, and other spiritual traditions. If if we juxtapose what we see with the with the creation of the industrial world and and what has made the emergence of the industrial world. And we're all children of industrialization. We are products of industrialization. You know, if you look at at the emergence and the creation of that, it's sort of like it's the second Genesis. Right. It's, it's, it's so you have the first Genesis story, you know, yeah. the, the, the actual creation of the, you know, the earth yeah. and, the, you know, everything that's in existence. And and essentially what what you see with the 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 emergence of the modern industrial vision that is man's man's vision. It's it's sort of as again seen through the tradition uh, or these traditions. It's sort of the 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 divine vision in in the in the emergence of the creation of the world versus man's vision for yeah. what he sees yeah. the world should be, and and the two the the, the two can't occupy the same space. I mean, in in it, in in the current sort of in the current incarnation, yeah. because the creation of the, the emergence of the second Genesis, right, the world in man's vision um, has, has at least as, as man has collectively envisioned it, required, has required the destruction of the, of the, of the, of the original creation, right, the original yeah. vision. Well, I, I would venture to say that permaculture is at least an attempt <clears throat> to come to balance between man and God or nature's vision? Well, I'll say man and, and nature because, yeah. I mean, I, I, and it's because it's a dicey proposition when you start, you know, talking about, you know, things <laughs> like God, spirituality. Yeah. And I often, yeah. I often don't, I usually don't, don't touch that, um, you know, unless I'm, I'm, you know, in a group of people. And especially, again, if I'm operating in the Muslim world, I know there's certain references that we both are understanding in a very similar manner that I could use to bridge the gap in, in getting some ideas across. Mm. But, but I, and this is the thing I pointed out to, you know, to a lot of people are getting in discussions about this, that again, the problem is, is the, isn't the nuts and bolts of how to operate 
with the ecology. Like that stuff's pretty easy to figure out. That's pretty straightforward. You know, it's, it just, you know, requires you to have, you know, some halfway decent powers of observation, um, an appreciation for, again, science, um, you know, the, the variety of different sciences. But what permaculture does not show you how to do is to deal with the human condition. Hmm. That's something else. Right. Permaculture doesn't, permaculture doesn't touch that. Right. And no one should expect it to, to, to deal with that aspect. That's a, that's an, an entirely different venture. And that's the re and that actually is the most difficult aspect of, of doing any of this is, is even if you are able to create the ideal situation, you're able to create again, the utopia that, you know, you, you, you yourself said that, you know, you have, you envision and, and hope for. Yeah. You're still going to have people that are operating with that utopia within the confines of that utopia that are cut to the chase that are messed up and that are having a very difficult time just dealing with themselves. And I mean, and ultimately that, that is, that's the story of your life is you coming into contact with people and trying to deal with those people. And then the people you come into contact with are trying to deal with themselves and people are either failing or either succeeding or failing in varying degrees in trying to undertake that effort. And again, permaculture doesn't touch any of that. Yeah. I think, so, that, yeah, there's, there's certainly like a, there's certainly a better chance of people being able to deal with themselves if they have good food and clean water and a right, warm right. place to sleep. Obviously, obviously. Yeah. I mean, that, that sort of the, 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 the chances of being able to approximate the ideal are, pro are going to be a lot better yeah. <laughs> if, 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 if folks are able to exist in a, in a setting to where their, their, their basic necessities are, are cared for. Well, and I would but, say, yeah, I would say going, you know, and taking that back to like ISIS and, you know, destabilized societies, if there's a lot better chance of people coping with those inner pain and their trauma and not becoming a suicide bomber if they have a stable village with good food, which has an intact community to support them. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's I mean, it's, I mean, the, the, the funny thing is, when you when you kind of tear a lot of this down and you begin to analyze it, you know, we were talking about this idea that, you know, these are people who are essentially nihilists, it's Islamic nihilists, uh -huh. <laughs> which again, it's, it's which is ridiculous. Yeah. And and there are people who want to use religion to um, to give license to their pathologies. Yeah. Hmm. It, which 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 actually is the that's that's not that's that's not the the purpose the idea is and and as a way of being able to 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 say that the problem is is out there somewhere hmm. and not and not the problem being your inability to deal with with yourself and whatever it is about you that you need to straighten out yeah like that's the that's the reason why that that's the whole purpose of, of religion is, yeah. is it, is it gives you a means of being able to navigate the human condition and then navigate the world 
that you have to occupy by while trying to navigate the human condition. And and this is and, and they and it's taken that and completely turned it on its head, and it and said, okay, I can actually take my 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 pathologies, my personal pathologies, and then supposedly use that as fuel to and and a way to amplify them, and and then direct that towards an, uh, a supposed enemy. And that's not to say that a lot of the things that they're pointing to, like that they don't have sort of legitimate issues to put on the table and say, hey, look, we need to sort this out. It's the way that they're going about right. doing it that is entirely wrong. Right. It's, it, it, it's like, that's not it. Yeah. And and being able to get people to, you know, just like turn the volume down yeah. and, you know, just say, just chill. Like, <laughs> just back up a minute, pump the brakes. Right. And, and then start to kind of un, unravel this, this tangled ball of string so that we can make heads and tails of what's going on and then hopefully plot, plot ourselves a path to a solution that, you know, makes sense, you know, and really, and actually works. Yeah. Wow. Well, man, you've, you've, uh, you've laid it out. I, I, I feel like I, I, I get it. You know, I came in with this, with just real confusion and knowing that there's some kind of connection, but, you know, you, um, your insight from, well, from being a Muslim and from being in a lot of these, um, places that, you know, are thought of as, you know, places that are unstable or producing terrorists or, or, or whatever it is. Um, thank you so much for painting the picture there. Cause I feel like it's getting clear. And, and there's something I want, there's a quote and this is, I think what's fitting is, um, it's actually a, a quote that's attributed to the to the Prophet Muhammad. It's from it's from a a, a collection of of um, literature. It's known as Hadith literature, and literally, it's the it's the it's the sayings, the collected sayings, and the reported um, actions and and kind of customs of of the Prophet Muhammad. And there's one that he said. Um, that he was he was trying to explain sort of the the nature of the world and 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 the status of the world and the status of the world in the eyes of God right in the eyes of the divine and he said that he said that in the eyes of God he said that the world was worth less than the wing of a gnat he said, the world is worth less than the wing of a gnat. He said, he said if he said if it wasn't, I should say if it was worth more than the wing of a gnat, he said he 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 wouldn't allow a disbelieving person to have a drink of its water, to even have a sip of its water. Uh-huh. Right? If it wasn't, if it was worth anything. Right. If it really was worth anything, he wouldn't allow a person that didn't believe that a a person that didn't believe in God. He wouldn't allow that even a disbelieving person to have a sip of the water found in this world. And look what and and look at the world. Look what you know, look at the the, what disbelieving people have. Folks that say God doesn't exist, you know, and he's like, you can have it. It's not worth anything. Like you chase after it. Uh huh. 
it's not worth it. It's worth less than the wing of a net. So, so, so if you have a person who supposedly is an adherent of this tradition and, and is trying to follow this, this path that has been set forward and exemplified by the Prophet Muhammad, and you exist in a world that is said to be worth less than the wing of a gnat, and that would include everything in it, why would you take a life which is, which is said to be, which is, is sacred? It's, it's sacred because life is from God. Why would, you, why would you take a human life, right, which is said to be, which is considered to be, you know, the, 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 the highest uh, kind, of, kind of the ultimate uh, manifestation of, of, of creation? Because of what because of what human beings spiritually are, are capable of attaining and embodying. Like So you're it, saying the world is not it, in that perspective, the world is not worth enough for you to go and take a life and commit such a sin. Basically. Exactly. The world yeah. the world is the world is not worth doing the things that these people are doing, supposedly right. in the name of Islam or in the name of God. And you can say that, and you can, and you can actually say, extend that across all of the prophetic traditions. Hmm. That probably all of the all of the the the, the messengers of those traditions had the same message, talk about the sanctity of life, and and ultimately vying for worldly things being being a, a fruitless pursuit, you know, a vain pursuit, and not worth your time. Hmm. So. Why, why would, why would you go to, why would anybody go to the lengths that they're going to in an attempt to become an owner of it and to, and to have power over it? Hmm. it it's, it's a trick. It's a trick. Hmm. That's what it is. Hmm. It is a trick hmm. you, that people are being, you know, bamboozled, hoodwinked, you know, hmm. run amok, led astray. Right. <laughs> right. That, um, yeah, and 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 ultimately, that that's that's sort of the thing that's that's missed in all of this. Mm. You know, is that you're trying to is that you're trying to gain control and take hold of what is essentially it's a phantom, it's it's a hologram. I mean, phys- physicists are talking about this now. Right, right. That the, the world being a hologram. Yeah, like most scientists. Yeah, we're mostly empty space, basically. Right, like sci- scientists, scientists are you know confirming this idea that you know. That what you think is there isn't really there. Well, then what's the point of doing good work in the physical world as well? Well, because 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 those those traditions believe in 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 reckoning that although the world in and of itself isn't worth anything, the only thing that the only thing that is worth anything is what you do in it. So I'll okay, no, no, I hear you. So so it's like it's like how like how you actually act in the world is the most important aspect of the entire world or of your journey in the world. Right. So for example, one of the, one of the, the, the Arabic word that's used to describe um, religion is Dean. Dean is actually probably more, more accurately translated as transaction. So religion is quite literally the way that you transact your life. Mm. Right. And and so and there are different categories of of the manner in which your life is transacted, either the way you transact your life with other people. 
the way you transact your life with nature and with animals and with inanimate objects, and then ultimately how you transact your life in, in relationship to the divine. And all of those things have rights that are due to them. And, and with regard to the rights that you accord to them, you have responsibilities. And so your life is sort of a running catalog, a running story of how you tend to those things. And so ultimately, the only thing you take away, and again, I'll, I'll end, I'll end, this will be the, 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 I guess the ending sentiment here. <laughs> you know, the, the prop, the, the, the prop, the prophet Muhammad is reported to have said, peace be upon him, he said that actions, that actions are judged according to their intentions, not their outcomes, not yeah. their outcomes. They're judged according to their intentions. So ultimately, the, the, the only thing you really walk away with and even in doing the, the actions that you do are the intentions that are the fuel or the motivation behind you carrying out those actions. Hmm. And, and that ultimately your, your reckoning, once you leave sort of this plane, this world, and you go to the next world, which is like, that's the eternal world. That's the, the real world hmm. has to do with the way that you transacted your life in this world. Nice. And your uns and the unseen intentions behind those transactions, right? The, the, like that's the that's the fuel. You know, yeah. that's the thing yeah. that that ultimately determines your fate yeah. with regard to you know, again how you are, like the the reckoning that you um, have yeah. with regards to how you live your life. Yeah, yeah. So that that makes me feel like like permaculture's in alignment with that. Overall, because, because yeah. yeah, exactly, because it's in because it's all about. I mean, what's it's all about transactions. The way build, yeah, yeah, and it, but it's also about intentions, and it's about ethics, mm -hmm. and the fact that that the fact that there's an ethical sensibility is 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 arguably the most significant thing that permaculture has to offer is that it's not a matter. That's why it's not it's not concerned simply with the technical particulars of how you do things because it's not a matter of whether or not you can or you can't do something. It's not simply concerned with the technical particulars. Right. Ultimately, it's about whether or not you should or shouldn't do something that you are capable of doing. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Or not capable of doing. Yeah. That it's it. That, and that's the, and that's the that's actually the challenge is even if you are able to do something, the question is whether or not you are actually supposed to do that thing yeah and that requires that requires a degree of judgment and and actually the the word that comes to mind is it actually requires wisdom yeah, yeah. and 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 again that's you know that's probably another discussion entirely yeah awesome <laughs> well hey hey ramis man this has been really really great really deep and uh, i hope i hope people listening appreciate it as much as they appreciated um your first episode so to remind people that if if you like this and you want to get some more background on what we were talking about Go ahead and go back to episode one of Earth Repair Radio, which we had a really great conversation about uh, refugees in particular, and all kinds of other stuff. Actually, your work in Somalia. We talked a lot about Somalia, which was very, yeah. very fascinating. Very fascinating. Yeah. So, hey, man, Ramis, so great to talk to you again. Thank you so much. Thank you um, for inviting me on again. And um, hopefully this you know, it's not the last time we'll get a chance to yeah. sit down and and chop it up yeah it's cool yeah i'd love to talk every couple of months or something just you know pick yeah why not man you know, yeah that's yeah, great that's well that's well yeah great <laughs>
Awesome. All right. Peace, Remy. Peace. Peace. Thank you so much for tuning in to Earth Repair Radio. I'm Andrew Millison, and you can find more episodes on earthrepairradio.com.